If you're joining us for the first time this morning, I'm just so glad that you're with us, that you chose to find us and join us um, in this way. I know gathering online two years into a pandemic uh, can be really hard, especially when so many of us already spend so much time online. Um, to do that also for church can be really challenging. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, I think it's also worth saying uh, this is our fifth week of gathering online and we really miss you um, a lot. Um, we miss seeing you um, in person and hearing your voice in person and standing in that gymnasium together and hearing everyone sing together and all of the musical instruments that the kids play during worship. And just, we really miss that um, and are really excited and hopeful that we'll get to be together again soon. Um, by the end of the day tomorrow, every one of you is going to be receiving an email from Pastor Shaq and I. Um, we, uh, Pastor Shaq and I are hoping that by the end of February, we'll be able to, uh, we want to connect with every one of you personally, whether that's a meeting online or meeting in person. Um, we just really miss you and have felt that um, gap in relationship. So, anticipate and look for an email. Um, we'll have lots of times available through the um, month of February. Um, and yeah, so this morning we are continuing our study of the Old Testament book Exodus. We're going to be spending our time today in Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 21. So if you want to get your Bibles out or your devices out wherever you read the Bible, We'll be reading through those verses together in just a few moments. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21, just so happen to be the 21 verses that contain the Ten Commandments, in which also just so happen to be the first of four consecutive chapters in the book of Exodus that outline what we refer to as the law. This moment in Exodus 20 is a powerful moment in Israel's history because these commandments serve as the foundation for all of the other laws that God is going to give to his people. Every other law that God will speak to his people will be rooted in one of these original 10. But I think it's worth saying at the beginning here, um, we're not going to spend our time walking through each individual commandment and trying to make sense of what they originally meant to the Israelite people and what they might mean to us today in the places we live and where we go to work and in our families. What we're going to try to make sense of in a general sense is what was God's purpose and intent in giving these commandments? What was his purpose and intent in giving the law to his people? And what, if anything, does that purpose and intent have to do with us today? And as we do this, I think we'll see that God's purpose and intent in giving the commandments is to create a holy nation and a royal priesthood. But before we get too far ahead, um, why don't we go ahead and read our passage together, beginning in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. 
And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. I mentioned a few moments ago that God's purpose and intent in giving the commandments to the Israelite people is connected to his desire to build them into a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And we know this because God says it himself. In the previous chapter, the pastor Shack walked us through last week, Exodus 19, the Israelite people arrive at Mount Sinai and it's there in verses four, five, and six that Moses, that God speaks these words to Moses There, God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God begins by reminding the Israelite people of the ways that he supernaturally delivered them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. And it's this divine deliverance from Pharaoh that forms the basis which God will now speak his commandments to his people. 
God has demonstrated his power before the Israelite people. He's acted in mercy and love towards them. And now he'll speak his commandments to his people as a continuation of that same mercy and love. And I think it's worth taking a moment here and acknowledging that so many of us somewhere in our lives or faith journeys have been taught to almost use the Ten Commandments as an interpretive lens, as a way of understanding or thinking about God and who he is and his character, at least as it's revealed throughout the Old Testament. And because we've been taught to use the Ten Commandments in this way, it's often been taught to us by lifting those commandments out of the larger context of the story of Exodus. We'll just talk about the commandments and emphasize the moral and ethical ways in which God demands his people to live their lives. And it can cause us to grow up with this picture or idea of God is a far off, distant, harsh, and aloof God who's primarily interested in ensuring we keep his rules and punishing us when we don't. But I think we need to remember that the Ten Commandments come after 19 chapters of salvation. God doesn't begin to speak his law to his people until well after he's redeemed and delivered them out of slavery, oppression, and bondage. By the time we get to the Ten Commandments, God has heard his people crying out to him, and he's responded to their cries in power. He's raised up a leader who he then empowers to confront Pharaoh. He works through that leader to supernaturally bring plagues against the Egyptian people. He's worked through those plagues to bring Pharaoh and all of Egypt with him to ruins. He's set his people free. He's delivered them through the Red Sea. He's provided food from heaven, water from a rock, and defended his people from an attacking army. And all of this happens prior to God speaking the Ten Commandments. God acts in redemptive power to save and set free his people before he outlines one single moral or ethical guideline for how they're supposed to live. God demonstrates a profligate kind of love to his people rescuing them from captivity when they were powerless to rescue themselves. And then only after demonstrating his power, mercy, grace, and love, does he then outline his law. If we've ever believed that God is a far off, distant, harsh, calculating, cold, aloof God who exists primarily to punish people for their mistakes, I think We need to acknowledge that to God. We need to speak that openly and vulnerably to God, and we need to create space for him to speak to us and heal us. 
um, I grew up Catholic. For most of my childhood, I thought of God in this way. I didn't know growing up that God wanted to be in relationship with me. Even when I got to college and really embraced my faith for the first time, I still understood God as being primarily interested in my right behavior, as though my right behavior was a prerequisite for God to want to be in relationship with me. And church, nothing could be further from the truth. God is at work to rescue and redeem us, to set us free, and to make us his people. And his desire to rescue and redeem us, to set us free, to make us his daughters and sons is not in any way, first and foremost, dependent on our ability to behave rightly or correctly. We see this revealed in the Old Testament right here throughout the book of Exodus and it's confirmed in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul who writes these words to the early church in ancient Rome. This is Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 6. You see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a consistent aspect of God's character from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He rescues and redeems his people even while they're stuck in sin even before they know how they're supposed to behave rightly. God moves to rescue and redeem. God does this in the Old Testament. He does this in the New Testament. His character is consistent over time. It's unchanging. God moves towards his people to rescue and redeem them long before he becomes interested in their ability to behave correctly. God didn't set the Israelites free because of how well they behaved. And Jesus didn't liberate us from the power of sin and death because of how well we behaved. It's worth mentioning, I think, before we move on from this point, that I think is I think as Christians today, we would do well to follow God's example. I think as Christians today, or even culturally as Christians, we have a reputation for getting this backward. That we live and act as though we believe people need to live in accordance with God's ethical and moral guidelines in order to earn his love or be worthy of his redemption. Christians have a cultural reputation of being judgmental towards outsiders because of how they choose to live. But God isn't. And neither is Jesus. He rescues and redeems first. 
And then he gives himself in the form of his spirit to empower people to be renewed and transformed over time. The Ten Commandments aren't written as a rule book given in order for God to be able to punish people for wrong behavior. Instead, the Ten Commandments are an extension of God's love, grace, and mercy. They're a continuation of his redemptive work in the lives of his people. And because God is primarily interested in building his people into a holy nation and royal priesthood, so that through God's people, the Israelites, God can then redeem every person and nation in the world. Because of that, I think we can read the Ten Commandments and understand that they're missional in nature. They orient us and our lives towards God and other people. We might not have thought about the Ten Commandments in this way before. I know that I haven't. But when we receive them in their original context, when we receive them as a continuation of God's redemptive work in the lives of people and not some abstract part of who God is removed from their context, we begin to see that the commandments are a means by which God wants to draw the world to himself. And just like we saw a moment ago, God's not only interested in building the Israelites into a holy nation and a royal priesthood. He's interested in doing this in our lives too. Because church, God's character is consistent over time. At Mount Sinai, God started to build his people into being a people who would become the hope of the world. And today through the church, God is at work building a people us, who are intended to be the hope of the world. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes these words in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you were the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's almost as though those first few lines here in 1 Peter chapter 2, they could be addressed to the Israelite people at Mount Sinai. These words almost help us understand and interpret what is happening in the life of Israel and what God is trying to do through the commandments. Peter continues, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's almost as though we're supposed to apply these words and use them to interpret God's purpose and intent through the Old Testament. That God gives to his people the commandments and the law because the people are his special possession, meant to declare 
to every person in every nation, the praises of him who called them out of darkness and into his own marvelous light. The commandments and the subsequent three chapters of the law that follow Exodus 20 serve as the means by which the Israelites can learn how to abstain from sinful desires and live such good lives amongst the pagan nations that those pagan nations might see the Israelites' good deeds and glorify God. The commandments, then, are a missional guide to how the Israelites are to live their lives, surrounded by non-believing people and nations, in order to point those non-believing people and nations to God as their rescuer and their redeemer, too. The commandments are the means by which God will build his people into a royal priesthood. And priests are intended to represent God to people and to reconcile people who are far from God back to God in right relationship. That was to be Israel's primary role in the world. And it's also to be our primary role in the world as individual people and as a community. God brought his church together at Mount Sinai and began to structure their lives together in such a way that they might be transformed into being redemptive agents everywhere they went. And God brings us together at the cross of Jesus and begins to structure our lives together in such a way that we too might be redemptive agents in our neighborhoods and workplaces and families and friendships. So, if God's original intent in giving the commandments to his people was missional, what does it mean for us today? What are we to do with this passage and how are we to begin understanding it and applying it to our lives today? And I think there's a hint in the structure of the Ten Commandments themselves. The first four commandments are focused on right relationship with God and the second six commandments are focused on right relationship with people. If we're going to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood, it all seems to start with right relationship. It's almost as though what Jesus says in regards to the greatest command to love God and to love our neighbors finds its root here. The commandments orient us towards loving God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. And they orient us towards loving our neighbor. So first, if we're going to be in right relationship with God, according to the commandments, this is what it looks like for us to be in right relationship with God. Love God first. 
He must be our first love. Worship only God. Our affections must be fixed only on him. Honor God's name. Because we speak well of those we love. And then rest well. Because when we rest, we remember that God sustains us and not ourselves. I wonder how we're honestly doing at being in right relationship with God. Because it seems that our missional effectiveness is intertwined with our, with the health of our relationship with God. So where are we struggling? What might we love more than God? How might our affections be divided? How well do we speak of God? And how often do we really let ourselves rest in such a way that we are reminded that we're dependent upon God, that he is the one who sustains us and provides for us. So we need to be in right relationship with God and we need to be in right relationship with one another. And based on the Ten Commandments, this is what that looks like. Love and honor your parents. Respect life. All of it. From conception to reception, black and white, immigrant and citizen, unborn and born, respect life. Keep your promises and do what you say you will. Keep only what is yours to keep. Tell the truth with great love and find contentment with what we've been given. How are we doing with these six? Because it seems that our ability to demonstrate God's goodness and faithfulness to the people we do life with is wrapped up in the health of our relationships with other people. Where are we struggling? How is our relationship with our family members, especially our parents? Do we honor every person we encounter and work for their good? Are we doing what we say we will? Do we want more than we have? Is it sometimes hard for us to tell the truth? The health of our relationships with God and with other people is the foundation for mission. 
for us to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Just as it was for the Israelite people in the book of Exodus, as we are rightly related to God and one another, our lives will serve as a guidepost of the kingdom. Our very lives will point and orient people towards eternal life. God doesn't give us the Ten Commandments so that he can control our behavior and punish us for our mistakes. He gives us the Ten Commandments as a continuation of his mercy, grace, and love so that we might be transformed into a people who lead others out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we could be gathered together this morning all across the city and region. And even though it's not the same as being in person, I'm so thankful that we can be together, that we can see each other's faces, that in a few moments we'll be able to spend some time in smaller groups talking and getting to know each other better, building relationships with each other, and hopefully being shaped even more into your people. Father, would you plant your truth in our hearts? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you help us to fall so deeply into love with you? Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.